I love to read books. I always have. But um, now I read at least a book a week. And I always try to have a book on my shelf that is a fun book, like a novel or a mystery. Just because so many serious things go on in life that it's nice to kind of get lost in a story. Anybody else enjoy that? I just love that. And last summer I read a book that was called Where the Crow Dads Sing, or Crawdad Crowdads. You know those Crowdads? Where the Crawdads Sing. And it's a book that takes place in North Carolina. And it's an interesting novel. It's actually very well written. And it's about a little girl named Kaya. Kaya is born into a very dysfunctional family. Her mother dies when she's very young. Her father's very abusive. He disappears for weeks at a time. And finally, he just doesn't come back. She's left with a brother who doesn't stay much longer. And he leaves. Kaya, this young girl, is left to fend for herself in the marshes of North Carolina, in the town nearby where she gets the few supplies that she needs, she's called the Marsh Girl. She never call her by name, she's just the Marsh Girl. She's lonely, she's disconnected. Her life, and particularly in the early years, is very frightening. But this girl grows up, and her first love as a teenager was a boy that she met named Tate. Tate was a good, a good kid who grew to be a very good man. But that was her first love. And he got to be college age, and he said to Kaya, Kaya, I have to go. I'm going away to school, but I will come back. Year after year went by, and Tate didn't come back. And he, and he never wrote to Kaya. Many years later, there's a knock at her door. And it's Tate. And she sees him and she's angry for the hurt that he has created in her heart. And he says to her, Kaya, leaving you was not only wrong, it was the worst thing that I've ever done in my life. I have regretted it for years and will always regret it. I think of you every day for the, and for the rest of my life, I'll be sorry that I left you. I truly thought that you wouldn't be able to leave the marsh and live with me in the other world. So I didn't see how we could stay together, but that was wrong. Kaya looks at him, and she says, what do you want from me, Tate? And he says, I want you to forgive me. And then she said these profound words that I marked in my book. It said this, Kaya said to herself, why should the injured, the still bleeding, bear the onus of forgiveness? It's a great question, isn't it? Why should the one who's bleeding and hurting bear the onus of forgiveness? Maybe it's a question that you have asked in your life. Why should I be the one who's responsible to forgive when I am the one who has been hurt? Well, we're going to see this morning as we continue our series looking at the issue of forgiveness we're going to see what God says about forgiveness. This is going to be the first of a two-week series on forgiveness with the overarching theme of authentic relationships. 
We cannot have authentic relationships with people for whom there is an unwillingness on one or both parties to forgive. If we don't forgive one another in our marriage, we're not going to have the intimacy that we long for. If we don't forgive our parents or forgive our children, we're not going to have the intimacy that we long for in our human relationships. It's just not going to be there. It's not going to happen. And so in this series, what we're talking about is how it is that we are to love one another from a biblical perspective. How it is that we are to live among one another biblically. I believe that God has given and created family so that we learn about the love of Christ, the love of God, and what is the most intimate relationship that we have. God could have made us without family. He could have created us so that we grew on trees or grew out of the ground. He could have just created us, but he didn't. He made us part of that process. And in family, we are to learn how to live together in community. And so home becomes that first challenge where we learn how to love one another. And I know on a Mother's Day, it can be very difficult for many moms. Maybe they have a broken relationship with a parent, or maybe they have a broken relationship with a child. And I know that forgiveness is hard. About a year ago, I was encouraged to do a deep dive into the biblical understanding of forgiveness. And what I found is that I had kind of bought into what is called the therapeutic biblical approach to forgiveness. And that approach is we always forgive. And so I grew and I learned, and I'm going to show you what the scriptures teach about forgiveness. Next week, what I'm going to do is talk about how we proceed through the process of forgiveness. How is it that I can release people who have hurt me so that the hurt that they created no longer has power in my life? It no longer dominates the way I live and the way I think. This morning, we're talking about forgiving one another. And what we've talked about the last few weeks are what are called the one anothering statements of the New Testament. Now, what are those? There are 59 statements in the New Testament that say, this is how you are to one another one another. This is how you are to live in community. Again, we practice that first and foremost in the home. And then we live that way among one another in the church. And then even beyond the walls, we are to live differently as the world, than the world lives. And so this morning, what we see is that we are to forgive one another. That's one of the 59 one anothering statements. And we see it here. We also see it in Ephesians 4. But listen to what it says. Paul writes, bear with each other, forgive one another. This is the one another. Forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Now, this is the standard by which we are to forgive one another. The standard of forgiveness is the way that Christ has forgiven us. That is the standard. The world does not establish the standard. I don't establish the standard. The Bible establishes the standard. We are to forgive as the Lord forgave us. This morning we sang great songs about 
the incredible mercy and grace of Christ who has extended mercy to us so that we who believe and respond to the gospel are completely, totally forgiven. Now, here's the key concept. Here's the key biblical principle. And I hope you have a bulletin this morning and the sermon outline because I'm giving you a lot of information, but I lay it out in your because I want you to continue to pursue this and continue to go deeper with it. Here's the key biblical principle. Simply this. My forgiveness of others is to be modeled after the example of God, his forgiveness of me. I am to forgive as the Lord has forgiven me. This is the key biblical principle. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at how God forgives us and we're going to apply it to how we forgive one another, how we live among one another. So what we see here is God's grace is extended to us. God's forgiveness is a commitment by the one true God. It's a commitment that he has made that by the blood of Jesus, he will pardon graciously. If you have, your, have a pen, underline that word graciously in your notes. He has made a commitment. He's not going to back away on that commitment. He's not going to fail in that commitment. He has made a commitment to pardon graciously those who repent and believe so that they are reconciled to him, although not all consequences are eliminated. For example, if I choose to abuse my body with alcohol, I am forgiven for that addiction, and there are many kinds of addictions. I'm not just saying that's the only one. But using this as an example, if I damage my, my, um, my liver through that, and my liver isn't able to work like it should because of the damage I've done to it, Although I'm forgiven, I suffer the consequences of the decisions that I have made. And we understand that as Christians. When I rebel against God, yes, God forgives me, but I still have to deal with the consequences of that rebellion. Now, let's take this understanding, let's apply it to our human relationships. Forgiving others, it's a commitment by the offended by the one who has been hurt, to pardon graciously. There's that word graciously again. The repentant from moral liability and to be reconciled to that person, although not all consequences are necessarily eliminated. What I want to do in the remainder of our time this morning is to break this down biblically so that you see what we're talking about here. And then what I'm going to do next week is to talk about how we apply this in our lives so that we can be released from the burden of bitterness and resentment. Now, here is the first thing I want you to see, and that is simply this. Forgiveness is a commitment. God has made a commitment to forgive. He has made a commitment to forgive those who put their faith in him, who repent, change their ways, change their attitude, come back to God, and he forgives us completely. 
totally. He doesn't, he, as far as the east is from the west, as we heard this morning, so are our sins from God. East and west never meet again. So as far as the east is from the west, so are my sins from God. And we're going to see that next week from 1 Corinthians 13. And it's going to be very challenging, and it's going to be very freeing. We read in Colossians 3.13, bear with each other and forgive one another. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. When somebody hurts me, I don't emotionally feel like forgiving them. I'm hurt. I want justice. I want fairness. And so I want to fight back. I want to let them know. I want to punish them for what they've done to me. I, in my feelings, in my emotions, I don't want to forgive. That's why forgiveness is a commitment. It's not an emotion. We talked about in the first week of this series as we defined biblical love. We said that agape, biblical love, is not based on feelings. It's not driven by feelings. It's driven by commitment. I make a decision to love, and I love regardless. When, when Beth and I have a disagreement, and I feel hurt, I don't want to go and, 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 and be nice to her and forgive her. I want her to pay a little price so she doesn't do it again. That's what I feel. That's what I feel. Now, is it right? No, it's not right. I've made a commitment to forgive. And when she asks me to forgive her, I release her completely. It's done. It's over. Now there is an author. His name is Ken Sand. And Ken talks about what a commitment to forgive looks like. And he mentions four things. Number one, I will not dwell on this incident again. I'm not going to dwell on it. I wonder if there is somebody in your life who has asked you to forgive them and you continue to dwell on it to this day. Every time it comes up in the relationship, well, you remember when, that's not biblical forgiveness. Biblical forgiveness says, I choose not to dwell on this issue again. It's over. What we tend to do is we tend to dwell on things that have happened. And when we dwell, the more we dwell on something, the bigger it gets and the more difficult it is to deal with. And so what I tend to do is to go to prayer with that and say, God, they have asked me to forgive them. Would you give me the ability to forgive? And here's what I have found. The feelings follow. God stirs in my heart and the feelings follow. Last week, we built a wall up here, and we talked about how this wall is what we stand behind, and it keeps relationship, pe people at a distance. And when we don't forgive someone, if in my marriage, I don't forgive my wife, or I don't forgive my child, or I don't forgive my parent, what happens is that becomes a wall that creates distance in my relationship with those people. No, I choose not to dwell on the incident. Ken says a second thing that we do biblically when we forgive is this. We choose not to bring this incident up again and use it against the other person. Every time there's an argument, well, let me remind you, 
you always, this is who you are. And so what we do is we bring up the incident over and over again to remind them of how they failed us. And I understand that because we're still hurting inside, and we'll talk about that next week. Third, I will not talk to others about this incident. Now, I want to be careful here because sometimes we have to process with a godly person. What this means is I'm not going to talk about it for the purposes of gossiping. I'm not going to talk about it for the purposes of, of attacking this person. Rather, I'm going to talk about it because I need to process and deal with this. Fourth, Ken mentions, I will not let this incident stand between us or hinder our personal relationship. I'm not going to allow this to become a barrier in our relationship. So these are four things that Ken mentions, Ken Stan mentions, are integral to the decision, the commitment to forgive another person. Here's the second thing I want you to see. Christians forgive graciously. We forgive graciously. Why is it that I know that my sins are forgiven? Because God is a gracious God. He extends mercy and grace to me. The Bible teaches that. It's the nature of God to be gracious. It's the nature of God to be merciful. And he has created a path for us to experience, to receive, to encounter, to engage his forgiveness. Now, let's break this down. It says, bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. That word forgive is a word that is often translated as grace. It's actually the same word, the same Greek word in the New Testament that is translated grace. What is God saying to us? This is a word, it's only found here and in Ephesians. The word forgive, there's another word in the Greek language that's far more common, and that's the word that we find throughout the rest of the New Testament. But here in Ephesians 4, what we find is this word grace that we translate in the context as forgive. What God is saying to us is that the heart of forgiveness is graciousness. It's humility. It's denying myself for the sake of another person. It takes love to forgive. It takes graciousness to extend forgiveness to another person. It's challenging. Kaya, in our story, it was very challenging. She had been deeply and profoundly hurt by Tate. And yet she chooses she has to make a decision. Will I forgive him? Will I release him? As he's asking me to do. And she understands profoundly. Why is the onus on me? I'm the one who's hurt. But the onus is on us. When it comes to this relationship. Forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive, he's writing to the church. Forgive one another. If any has a grievance against anyone in the church. Now next week we'll talk about how we do that. But what we need to understand here is that the process of forgiveness that leads to restoration must, at the very heart of it, 
be driven by humility and graciousness because that's the heart of God. It's what Jesus modeled for us. Remember Jesus on the cross as he's being crucified. What does he say? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Friends, that is grace. These are the people that, that beat him. These are the people that tortured him. These are the people that crucified him. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That is the heart of humility. That is the heart of graciousness. Now we come to the third point, and this is where, where people who have learned the therapeutic approach to forgiveness, where you might struggle. But you're going to see here that the Bible teaches this. Christian forgiveness is a commitment to the repentant. What is the repentant? It's the person that turns around and says, hey, I am sorry for what, you've, what I've done, and I choose to live in a, in a different way. Now, it doesn't mean they're going to be perfect. It doesn't mean they're not going to make a mistake again. It's not, it doesn't mean they're not going to blow it again. But sincerely, they're saying, I'm sorry for what I did. I'm sorry for what I said. I'm sorry for what I didn't do. And I'm asking you to forgive me. It's a, to repent is to change your attitude. It's to change your perspective. It's to change your action. When you change your attitude, when you change your perspective, it changes your action. It changes what you do. Now, I know for some of you this is very challenging. But listen to what Jesus said. He said, so watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times coming back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. And then he goes on to say, and what this is saying here is this, if they repent, forgive them. Well, what happens if they don't repent? What happens if they don't ask for forgiveness? The wisdom of this is if somebody hurts me and I just keep saying, going back to them, and they're not sorry, they don't take responsibility, what, what's going to happen? They're going to keep coming after me. And then I put myself in a position where they slap me, I turn around because I'm hurt, then I turn back around, I forgive you, they slap me again, and it just keeps happening over and over and over again. That's not what forgiveness looks like. And so what are we talking about here? We're talking about extending through graciousness an attitude that says, I will forgive you, but we need to restore the relationship. Now listen, I, think of it this way. I have up here a gift. And what, I, what the gift says is, it's addressed this way, you ready? To you, regardless of what you have done. I give you a gift regardless of what you have done. What's in the gift? The gift is forgiveness. You see, only those, the only people who go to heaven and are forgiven are the ones who repent. God restores those who repent. Now, we have to be very careful here, and I'll, and I'll talk about this in just a moment. But God forgives those who repent, who turn around and, and put their faith in Jesus and repent, who change their attitude and their actions. 
God forgives them. In the same way, we follow that model in our forgiveness of one another to you regardless of what you have done. So I offer you this gift. But then the person who receives it has to open it. They have to receive they have to receive my forgiveness of them by repenting and say, "Hey, what I did was wrong." Now, why is this dangerous? Because where do you draw the lines? People do things all the time on accident or um, it, it's not their nature and, and so I just decide not to repent. No, I go to them and I say, hey, with grace and graciousness and humility, it's necessary. I go to them and I say, hey, I want you to know how what you did impacted me. And I'm sitting with you because I want to have a relationship with you, but this is, this is hard, and we need to talk about this. But we do it with an attitude of graciousness. And, and I found most of the time when we do that, people are willing to forgive, or willing to receive forgiveness, willing to take responsibility. One of the things that we've been talking about, we're going to be doing here at Crosspoint, is we're going to be talking about and training our people on how we can have differences and how we can work through those differences, how we can deal with those differences. Now, sometimes the person will say, I don't really think you're right. I don't see it the way you see it. And we'll talk more about that next week. What do I do with that? What do I do with somebody who isn't repentant? How do I deal with that when there's still pain in my heart? Well, we're going to talk about that next week because you're going to find in life often people are not repentant. So what do we do with that pain? What do we do with that hurt? Remember, we are to forgive as the Lord forgives us. The Lord continues to minister to people who reject him with mercy and grace. He continues to love them. He continues to care about them. But they don't receive forgiveness until they open the package that God offers them that says, I died for you on a cross. I've died that you might know the forgiveness of sin that you might be set free. Here's the fourth thing that I want you to see. And that is that the goal of forgiveness is always reconciliation. is always restoration. The goal is not to get the person to take responsibility. That's not the goal. I know it is for me often. I just want you to apologize to me. No, the goal is to reconcile and restore the relationship. I love this verse. It's one that I've used a lot over the years for my own relationships. If it is possible, as far as it depends on me, live at peace with everyone. And so we seek reconciliation. We seek restoration. The goal isn't to have the other person apologize. The goal is to restore, renew, and reconcile. That's what we seek. That's what God seeks. We read in Corinthians that we, he, God has given us a ministry of reconciliation. What does that mean? We share the good news of Jesus, that people will be reconciled to God. But it also means, it also means 
that we are instruments of reconciliation in the relationships of people because it is God's vision, it is God's desire, it is God's passion that there be unity in Christian homes, that there be unity in Christian schools, that there be unity in Christian churches, that there be unity in Christian relationships. Jesus talks as he prays for the church and he prays for his disciples in John 17. What does he pray for? Right before he's going to be arrested, what does he pray for? He prays for unity, that we together would be one as the Father and the Son and the Spirit are one. That we are to be united and harmonious with one another in the way that there is harmony and unity and love between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is what our human relationships with believers is to look like. We extend mercy. We extend grace to others. And we extend forgiveness to all who repent. But we never stop being gracious and merciful. Here's the fifth thing I want you to see. Consequences are not necessarily eliminated. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, one will reap also. Okay, what does that mean? Well, it means this. I may be completely forgiven, but there may be consequences to what I've done in a relationship. And I have to take responsibility for what I have done or failed to do and the way that it has impacted the other person. It might be helping to restore them in some way. It might be that they have to face the natural consequences or the legal consequences of what they've done to me. I had a friend in my last church who was a policeman. And um, the, the townships tend to be fairly small. Everybody kind of knows everybody in these small Michigan, many of these small Michigan townships. And he was a policeman in Middleville. And he, was, he had a cousin that lived in Middleville and his cousin didn't like to live in the, let's just say, within the lines. He did things he shouldn't be doing. And he was known to the police department there. And he was pulled over by my friend. My friend pulled him over a few times and warned him, look, I should give you a ticket for this, or I should bring you in for this, but I'm going to, I'm going to extend grace to you. I'm going to be merciful to you. But it didn't change this, this, his cousin's attitude or his actions. And so one day he pulled him over, pulled his cousin over. And he said, look, we're done. I've got to take you in. And I can't remember exactly how it happened, but somehow either through the door or the, through the, wind, uh, the windshield, or uh, the, I'm sorry, the side window, he got the policeman, my friend, got stuck and his cousin not realizing it took off and dragged him about a hundred feet before he was stopped and my friend was pretty beat up and pretty physically pretty damaged and so here's what he said to me I said well what did you do he said I arrested him 
I arrested him because what I understood was there needs to be consequences to the way he's living. Without consequences, I'm not doing him any favors. And so in life, there are going to be consequences even when we're forgiven. And notice what it means, are not necessarily eliminated. Now, I let it go. I don't use it as a weapon for the future. I don't just continue to remind them of how they failed me. But at the same time, I allow the natural consequences or legal consequences where those are necessary for the sake of what is best for the other person. Do you hear that? For the sake of what is best for the other person. That's grace. That's mercy. That's humility. I want to close with this story. Again, next week, I'm going to talk about how we do this. What I'm sharing with you today is basically what it looks like to forgive someone in the way that Christ has forgiven us. That's the standard. I forgive the way that Christ has forgiven me. Forgiven me. That's the standard. Well, how do we do that? How do I live that out when I'm hurt or when I've hurt another person? And maybe that person doesn't want to forgive me. What do I do with that? We'll talk about that next week, but I want to close with this story. I came across this a little while ago. Um, I love to read history. And, um, and I was reading about World War II and um, the concentration camps. And this one is a story about a woman named Ava. Ava, Ava and her sister were in um, Auschwitz. And they were the subjects of literally horrific experiments at the hands of Joseph Mengele. Many of you will remember him. He was a uh, Nazi doctor that used Jewish, primarily children, and he, he conducted all sorts of terrible experiments on these children. It was, it was um, horrible, evil. Now, 50 years have gone by, and they're having an anniversary at Auschwitz to celebrate the freeing of the people who survived Auschwitz. Ava was going to be there, and she was helping to put this together. And Ava reached out to a doctor who was there. And this doctor had, had repented of what he had done. His job was really just to sign the um, death certificates. So he wasn't involved in the experiments, although he was knowledgeable of what was going on. So he was culpable. And so listen to what she says. I was so glad that I would have an original document witnessed and signed by a Nazi doctor to add to the historical collection of information we were preserving for ourselves and for future generations. I was so grateful that Dr. Munch was willing to come with me to Auschwitz and sign that document, document in front of all the people about the operation of the gas chambers. And I wanted to thank him. How does one thank a Nazi doctor? Now think about her circumstance. Think about what she went through. And here's her question. How do I thank this man who was part of perpetrating such evil that had such an impact on my life and my sister's life? How do I do that? And then she said this. For 10 months, I pondered this question. All kinds of ideas popped into my head until I finally thought, how about a simple letter of forgiveness from me to him? 
forgiving him for all that he has done. I knew immediately that he would appreciate it, that it would have a great impact. But what I discovered once I made the decision was that forgiveness was, is not so much for the perpetrator as much as it is for the victim. I've certainly found that. I had the power to forgive. I had power, the power to forgive. Now, friends, I want you to hear this because often we have the power to forgive, but we don't want to extend that power by forgiving that person because when we do, we're letting them off the hook. She said, I had the power to forgive. No one could give me this power and no one could take it away from me. That made me feel so powerful. It made me feel so good to have any power over my life as a survivor. And then she said, if I had discovered forgiveness sooner, I would have had that 50 years of my life back. Forgive and see the miracle that can happen. We'll talk more about that next week. Will you pray with me? Father, help us. Help us to be those who live according to your purposes and your design. Lord, I know this is a topic that is one of the most challenging and difficult topics that we can address as people. We hurt. We've been hurt. We've been disappointed by people we trust. We've been let down by people we love. And Lord, that pain, that pain goes deep within us. Lord, it's my prayer that you would enable us to release and to forgive in a godly manner. That we may see the miracle of restoration in relationships that we never thought were possible. I pray for any here today who are struggling with this issue, particularly as it relates to a mother, a child, Lord, may you minister and may you heal as we follow your design, as we follow your plan, as we follow your purposes. And we will give you the thanks and the glory and the honor. In Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen.